New York Times critic Bosley Crowther said that this film makes you feel a little tearful and choked up while it is making you laugh yourself raw. Tom Huddleston of Time Out said that it feels as sly, modern, and bracing as it must have in 1967. And Jeffrey Westhoff of the Northwest Herald called it perhaps the most overrated film ever. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of The Graduate. Which one will it be? Greetings, starfighters. Countrymen, lend me your ears. Sorry, little shakes. I got a little Shakespearean there. Sorry, throwing out a little... Yeah, a little shaky. A little JC. Julius Caesar. Yeah, a little shaky shakes. Not that this episode is, I mean, going to touch on his work too much. Though, though in all. a way, it, it references perhaps some of the great tragedies of classic theater. I uh, couldn't we'll agree with that. you more. Uh, we'll get to that. Hey, Dan, how's, how's it going? All right, John, how are you doing? I am doing all right. Hello, Hi. everybody. Hello, yeah. Starfighters. Uh, so for for those of you joining us for the first time, uh, I'm John. I'm Dan. We're brothers. And uh, we're, we're brothers and we Hermanos. like movies a lot. <laughs> and and this is a podcast that talks about uh, what would what we would do with movies if we were forced at gunpoint to remake them, give them a sequel, a prequel, or reboot, or whatever? Yeah, well, it's it's kind of like let's let's admit it. Hollywood has kind of like been recycling a lot of the same properties, and in some ways, kind of taking different perspectives on them, like you know, Joker, for example, um, and. You know, in other ways, just kind of like, you know, cashing in on a a dependable property, you know, every time a new version of Predator comes out. Right. An angel gets its wings. Um, <laughs> an alien births to fight it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I thought that it would be appropriate to go over what this podcast is all about before this episode, because I think that this is one that people might... I don't know, stumble upon maybe more than some of the lesser known films this or is some of the more culty not... films. This is a classic. Yes. It's on the AFI top 100. Which, do you know off the top of your head which number it is? I don't. I believe it's number 17 based on the latest The two thousand Is that the 2007? I believe so. I don't know, Dan, do you, do you feel like it deserves to be... On the list and and even up that high, yes. To part A, I do. I uh-huh. I believe, and I mean, granted, there's a lot of movies on the the AFI top hundred list that I have not that I've never seen. Um, mm-hmm. I do think that in terms of its cultural significance, The Graduate belongs on that list. And you know what? When you when you think about the impact it had on culture from Simon and Garfunkel, like from it, not just taking the the Simon and Garfunkel, the existing Paul Simon catalog, if you will, uh-huh. and 
bring and and applying it to not just a film but a character and a mood and a and really kind of taking the iconic music of that time applying it and making an iconic film i mean how many times have you seen some take on you know mrs robinson you're trying to seduce me you know oh. the leg the shot with the leg yeah. over how many times has that been parodied how many times has the movie been as, referenced in probably as many times as you can't handle the truth has been parodied or referenced <laughs> oh it's nice probably right up there alongside the, the i mean know, that one i would say the simpsons alone has probably yeah. done you know up you know at least i would let's say 10 in, in all of its years in its you know 30 years well Dustin Hoffman himself actually was on Simpsons and said the famous line. That's right. It's a movie that came out 52 years ago. I watched it the other day. It was one of those movies where it's like I wasn't picking up my phone and checking Twitter and stuff. I like kept my attention the entire time. And for a movie <laughs> that old to do that is pretty impressive. Um, it's funny you should say that because I put it on just feeling like I've seen this movie it, it it's our father's favorite movie. One of his, it it Could is be. one unless unless you're counting the launch sequence from Apollo 13. Well, I mean, it made the house shake. So it um, made the house shake. Right? That the right stuff. No, but like, but even but long before surround sound was a was a thing in our in our home. One of the first gifts I think I bought him when I started, you know. Like when it wasn't just mom saying, here, this is what you're giving dad for his birthday. Right. Was a VHS copy of The Graduate. Like a VHS copy of The Producers was definitely one of them. And a VHS copy of The Graduate. I mean, I remember watching. I don't know if I watched it with him for the first time, but I definitely watched it because he cited. Like, I am almost certain that there's a photograph that exists. And I, you know, we'll go to the source on this. But I'm pretty sure there's a photograph that exists of dad in like the scuba gear like Dustin Hoffman in the graduate at his 21st birthday celebration. Do you know what I'm talking about? I it seems vaguely familiar. Yeah. I I don't know. If we can I, dig that up that'd be great. Yeah, no no, we'll we'll work on it. Keep an eye on our Instagram at Rune Childhoods Pod. So, uh anything else you want to talk about before we get into the graduate like for real styles? Um, uh, I guess just some movie recommendations to throw out there. Uh, sure. Knives Out. So in terms... Still haven't seen it. In, I All I'm going to say is that I think that what Ryan Johnson has done as a filmmaker, and I don't think this is the first time he's done it, but I feel like this is kind of the most well-constructed way he's done it, is mm-hmm. use a very familiar tried and true genre to say something new or contribute uh-huh. to a um like a relevant discussion because gotcha. by, by many appearances it, and I really don't want to say much because like I want people to see it but I mean I felt like I went in expecting something and I got that and more nice you know I had wondered I'd kind of speculated when Last Jedi, when I saw Last Jedi, I kind of speculated that he might have been doing that with Last Jedi. And 
I I'm I'm tempted to give Last Jedi another watch to to find out, and I'm also tempted to go back to Looper, which I was lukewarm on. Looper, I, I know Looper, you loved I, it. I really like it. You loved it. I re- I know. I remember that, and I feel like I kind of you know I kind of want to go back and and look and see like you know all right because because he he wrote that right yes Ryan I believe he writes. All of, if not most of, the films that he directs. Yeah, I mean, I'm. Pr- it was, Brick, he was Looper, a co-writer on Jedi, right? Uh, the, I, I mean, I imagine they had lots of people weighing in, but I yeah. think that he was the primary writer on that. So anyway, yeah, I, I believe so. Anyway, I mean, you know, to cut to the chase here, I highly recommend Knives Out, and it, it's really given me a new perspective on him. And not only that, but Stop the Presses, I went to the movies twice this past weekend. Hey. Because we saw Knives Out Saturday night. That was date night. And then Sunday afternoon, we decided we were going to take Chloe mm-hmm. to see her first movie in the theater. Oh. Now, there's an asterisk. Second attempt. Second attempt. Second attempt, first success. The first attempt was Mary Poppins Returns. Last year's. Not Chloe's fault. So no, not Chloe's fault. No, the the projector broke down and it just wasn't in the cards. Since then we've moved. We live around the corner from a movie theater and we said, "Hey, let's go see Frozen 2," which I I I might have enjoyed more than the original. Well, as the parent of a 2-year-old, we just watched Frozen 1 recently, oh. and by that I mean we've watched it Maybe seven times in full since. Oh, you're in phase one. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, luckily, she's not crazy, crazy, crazy about it, but she definitely enjoys it. Yeah, I think I think Chloe was more into it when she was a little bit older. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know that she really wanted like watched it at two. I think two was was kind of like Daniel Tiger. Oh, we're into the Daniel Tiger. Don't oh, get me wrong. I mean, DT, we occasionally go back to DT. I mean, we're Wiggles enthusiasts in this house. Well, yes. No, I, I know, of course, you're a Wiggles enthusiast. <laughs> and of course, I know people who tuned in to listen to hear us, to listen to us talk about The Graduate are Okay, let's fascinated. get back to adu- to uh, movies that are made for grownups. So uh, you, you said a couple things earlier that I wanted to loop back to so looper was one of the last times that i uh enjoyed seeing bruce willis do actual like acting you know Mm. he's been in a lot of kind of like made for streaming things and kind of like not real acting stuff it's it's kind of like looper he actually had some depth to his character and you also said um cut to the chase so i want to take that plus Bruce Willis, and tell you about a movie I saw recently called Motherless Brooklyn. Oh, how was that? Because it was nice to see Bruce Willis doing some acting again, and it had some really cool 1940s, 1950s uh, car chase sequences throughout New York. I love the trailer. It's really good. It's up in the top of my uh, my movies of 2019. It was really good. All right. Along with another movie I watched the other day, Parasite. I've I've heard... I have yet to Parasite see. Parasite is tremendous. It is tremendous. Wow. It is like I've I avoided any trailers or reading anything about it 
because I just heard it was so good. And I was like, I want to go into it fresh. And I'm glad I did. It was just full of surprises. And it's one of those movies that kind of had everything. It was funny, suspenseful. It's just a really well-crafted film. It's reminding me not, I mean, not, I haven't seen the film yet, but just between not necessarily the content of the trailer, but like the tone of the trailer, which doesn't really reveal Mm -hmm. much, if anything, plus all kind of like the hype and, and what you just said, it reminds me so much of when the crying game was released. Um, Really? Like around this time in 1992, um, I didn't see, end up seeing it until March of 93, at the Rialto Cinema in Westfield, New Jersey. <laughs> Thanks um, for letting us know. Well, I don't know when we're going to talk about the crying game. Like, <laughs> uh, we who might. knows? Maybe we will. Anyway, uh, but just kind of like, I remember the the mystique around it. And I remember, like, I distinctly remember listening to the radio. And I think I was listening to like, you know, Q104.3 when that was like the classic rock station in New York. Uh huh. And they played the original uh, song, The Crying Game, which was then uh-huh. covered and was a big hit for Boy George, was like the Boy, Boy George, George comeback. Yeah. And I remember hearing them play the song and hearing the DJ talk about the movie, not very specifically, but just kind of like talking about the scene where it's used. Mm-hmm. And between that and the trailers, which did not reveal the true nature of the film, but but were not, I would not call them deceptive. Like there was still, it's like the trailers sell it more as like a thriller, like an, uh, you know, an IRA, Irish Republican Army, mm-hmm. you know, centered thriller, which it is, but, and then some. And then some, yeah. And I, well, I, I mean, that's one of my favorites. Yeah, and I mean, that's a movie where, as we were saying, you know, it's so tied to the music that was, you know, recorded for it, much like The Graduate, which, which, you know, definitely, I mean, Simon and Garfunkel were, you know, known, but that's when Mrs. Robinson, you know, became a thing. You know, it was not written exactly for the movie, but it was altered for the movie (laughs) to fit the name Mrs. Robinson. It's going to be Mrs. Roosevelt. Yeah. yeah. So, um, Dan, I, should I just launch into a, a little synopsis of, of The Graduate for anybody who doesn't know, um, who's been sleeping on it for the past yeah, so, 52 um, years? Why don't you go um, go into a synopsis, and then I've got just some, some background I wanna, uh, that I want to talk about. Okay, you can just give me a little, like, times out sign or put your hand up or something, and then we'll... Uh, if I want to pipe in during the synopsis? No one will take take little pauses. All right, oh, yeah. so Benjamin Braddock, who's played by Dustin Hoffman, just graduated from college, and... Yes? Interesting to point out, I mean, and I, I feel like most people who follow this film or know about this film know this, but Dustin Hoffman was... Mike, Mike Nichols demanded two things with this movie. Mm-hmm. Simon and Garfunkel's music... And Dustin Hoffman as Benjamin. And like right. the studio was like, no, like, no, they wanted Robert Redford. They wanted Warren Beatty. Which, yeah, they wanted like an attractive leading man that people who people knew. Well, and honestly, is a is actually probably a little closer to the Benjamin of the novel written in uh, published in 1963 by Charles Webb. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. um, who like he's a track star. He's like he's like the big he's the BMOC big man on campus. Right. At um, I, I forget where he he went. They just say um, an East Coast school. Yeah. And and he's still all of that in the movie, but it's Dustin Hoffman in his first film role, and he's this. And Benjamin Braddock is not. It, I mean, he had this discussion with Mike Nichols because he didn't think he he was right for the part. He he was right. like, "I'm too, I'm Jew, I'm Jewish. Like, do I look like a Benjamin?" And and he's like, "Yes, that's what you are." In, I th- I forget exactly what it was that Mike Nichols like said to him but he was like that was a long time ago your memory must be pretty fuzzy (laughs) yeah i know well you know it was a party we were at diane cannon's (laughs) sorry uh pour one out for robert evans um yeah (laughs) anyway i don't know so i i think it's just interesting because it's really hard to imagine anyone else in that role right but which we'll get to. Go on. So anyway, uh, I so he's graduated from college and he uh, returns back to uh, his parents' place in Los Angeles. And he's overwhelmed by his parents and his parents' friends' expectations now that he's out in the real world. And he finds a bit of excitement when his dad's partner's unhappy wife, Mrs. Robinson, uh, who's played by Anne Bancroft, comes on to him. Mrs. Mel Brooks. No. I, I know. And so I totally he would call himself M- Mr. Anne Bancroft, I'm sure. Right. Yeah. It, and it's funny to think about the two of them. Well, I know that Mrs. Robinson is a character, but like seeing her and then thinking like, and she's married to Mel Brooks. But watch To Be or Not To Be, where, right, which is, right, I right. think, the one movie that they that they did together she was oh she pops up in in bit parts in a few of his films she pop up in like dracula did and loving it she does now that's love (laughs) go on (laughs) so continue (laughs) so mrs robinson comes on to benjamin and after he declines her i mean everybody knows the famous you're trying to seduce me scene no sense in really going into it. But uh, she essentially <laughs> says, like, hey, look, if you want to cash in on this, you just let me know. Oh, she's and he naked. Ulti- he's he's in her daughter's room and she walks in naked, shuts the door. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, my. And it, it's so fu- and I couldn't help it. But just like every time I see that scene, I think of Dustin Hoffman in a Rain Man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I imagine like Rain Man in that scene. Right. Well, which doesn't yeah, I mean, kind it's of essentially it's essentially like him in the elevator when uh he gets his he gets his kiss <laughs> you know he's just yeah. kind of like stunned and doesn't know what to do oh, so he's anyway so, yeah so awkward uh so he ultimately decides to go through with it and you then go through the whole progression of them having their affair and Benjamin not doing anything with his life and kind of just laying in the pool, not taking the rest of his life seriously quite yet. But then uh, he's forced by his parents to take out Mrs. Robinson's daughter, Elaine, who's uh, home from school. She goes to Berkeley. Yes. As in take her out on a date, not assassinate her. Thank you for clarifying, Dan. I, you know, so that's where my mind went. Given that he's in this, having this affair with uh, Elaine's mother. He essentially is doing this just to get his parents off his case. 
and he ultimately shows her like the worst time in the world and after she gets really upset he kind of breaks down and like gloms onto her and focuses all of attention onto elaine what's up sorry uh just I, i'm gonna pipe in because this actually kind of connects to what we were talking about with with mike nichols wanting dustin hoffman the whole mm-hmm. idea with casting dustin hoffman as ben was that he was an underdog and it's like one of the things yeah. i think he said it like nichols said it to robert redford because robert redford was like why don't you think i'm right for this part and Nichols was was like, "Have you ever been turned down by a woman?" And Robert Ever was like, "What?" And he and Nichols yeah. goes, "Exactly." So it's yeah. kind of like Ben doesn't think he, it's like Ben's like, "Great, someone wants to have sex with me. That's amazing." Right. And then he's like, "Oh wait, someone my age who's like really who's Catherine Ross, nineteen sixty seven, attractive." Oh, yeah. And so I feel like it's. It's kind of like Benjamin is just so he's so passive and he's so right. like whichever way the wind blows. Yes. And and he takes it to extremes, too, because yeah. uh, after oh, and he's he such starts a dick on that date. Right. And he essentially goes on that one date with Elaine. And before there can even really be a second date, uh, Mrs. Robinson kind of gives him the ultimatum of like, you either don't see her or I tell her everything. And he kind of gets the jump on it and says, like, I'm going to tell her. <laughs> and uh, of course, she freaks out. And, uh, you know, and then she goes back to Berkeley and then he essentially just moves up there and starts stalking her. Can I say that scene where she because it's not like he goes to tell her I, I don't think they actually say anything like no so he says like you know how i said that i was having an affair with a married woman and then like they just kind of look at each other and she sees her mother Catherine ross him. in that yeah. moment is so amazing i yeah, mean she's, she's, she's great. fantastic throughout the whole film but like just the look on her face when she, I, how her face just goes so like her jaw drops and like it's not over the top it's so like like oh you just realized what's going on and you are disgusted and every bone in your body is feeling that disgust yeah so uh after he goes to berkeley and starts stalking her in an effort to initiate a meet cute essentially <laughs> uh and he he Anything finally but. Yeah, a re-meet kind of not cute. She essentially tells him, like, oh, I I heard everything. You raped my mother. And he is kind of making it his business to, I don't know, explain everything in, in fuller detail. And, and for some reason, she still likes him. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, yeah. I feel like uh, having been with one's, you know, the, the person's mother kind of, makes it impossible to actually have a real connection but maybe that's just me call me crazy so but it's uh, it's it's almost like when she's like given the choice between oh what's his name like like chad smith or something like that right basic good it may as well be yeah yeah um carl smith carl smith right so like she's given the oh the makeout king right that's what the frat boys call him yeah yeah uh, when given that choice, when Ben shows up at, at the end and, oh, sorry, Wayne's World 2. How did we not mention Wayne's World 2? Well, because we've only just started getting into this. Oh, I know. But I mean, I'm sorry. It just came back to me. I 
<laughs> it was it had been off the radar until just now. But like when she's given that choice, I fe- I I think she's just like looks at him. She looks at Ben and she looks at her mother and she's like, this guy is just going to expect me to be my mother for the rest of my life. And oh, that you're talking guy- about at the wedding at the wedding. Okay, so okay, I, so I mean, I know I'm skipping just, a little just, bit. Just but. real, just real quick, Elaine. Even though she strings Benjamin along, ultimately, like almost out of nowhere, decides that she's going to marry Carl, the makeout king. Don't the and, parents speed it up? Because Mister Robinson shows up. Yes, he shows up, but like. I mean, that happens, like, the next day. Like, it is really fast. I love how Mr. Robinson is played by Murray Hamilton, the mayor of Amity Island in Jaws and Jaws That's right. Speaking of Jaws, you have Richard Dreyfuss, I I think, in his first role in this. (laughs) Richard Keel. No, Richard Dreyfuss, uh, he's one of the guys who lives at the the house where Dustin Hoffman is living. Uh, That's not Richard Dreyfuss. Sorry. <laughs> it's not the worst. I never tried um, it before. That was the first, probably the last time. So, so yeah, Benjamin famously busts up the wedding and they run off and they live happily ever after. Well, which it, we all know is not the case. Well, but, I, but well, do well, we though? Because But that's that's the thing is that you can tell that they aren't thinking things through, but she has at least broken you know, it's like her the mother chain. is so unhappy in her marriage and she was going to go do the same thing that her mother did, you know, marrying young to somebody who's successful to just kind of, you know, sit at home and smoke cigarettes and to watch drift. game shows. To drift. Yeah. So, yeah, so they go off and at the end, there's that famous shot of them sitting in the backseat of that bus and 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 kind of just like turning back around after they're so like gleefully, you know, flipping off everyone from the wedding and, you know, looking at everyone as they're going off into the distance and they just kind of turn around and they don't really look at each other. They just kind of no. look ahead and it's kind of like it's praised as so as being such the significant moment of uncertainty. And you can read into that. The interesting thing about that is just like Mike Nichols didn't call cut. Well, yeah. Yeah. But... I mean, I, I think he did that. I know he did that. But what's interesting is like, I think that if Nichols had directed them to play that, right. it would not have worked. I just love the idea that Mike Nichols had this. I, I, I like to think he had this plan. He had this intention which kind of speaks to, I think, a lot of the, you know, the meaning that I found in the movie on this last viewing. And maybe not just mm-hmm. on this last viewing, but I, I definitely, and it, it really, it ties, it ties into everything. But before we get into that, just a little uh, background on kind of the things that have been done with the property. Or you want to get to that in a little bit? I just want to... I want to pause on that really quickly before we jump to that. Uh, I just want to know if you remember, aside from, you know, buying dad, the the VHS of The Graduate, do you have any memories of The Graduate from maybe your first viewing or anything like that? No, I mean, it was probably middle school, maybe early high school. Mm-hmm. It may have been that tape that I got for dad. I might have rented it from Blockbuster. I I don't really remember. I I remember that 
the first time I saw it, I I liked it, but I think the fact that the tone is not ambiguous, but the tone kind of shifts. The tone, in a lot of ways, it is ambiguous, and I think that at the time that I saw it, the you know maturity level that I was at, there was some stuff that I just it didn't resonate with me. Whereas Mm -hmm. as the years have gone on and I've, you know, watched it, you know, I guess I would probably say I put it on once every couple of years, but Mm. I think it's resonant. I mean, what about, what about you, John? I mean, did you, what do you remember? You know, I really can't remember the first time that I saw the movie. I think that the first time that I watched it where I was like really thinking about it was probably in college, but I I mean, even before college, I'm trying to remember exactly what year it would have been. And this ties into uh, what you're about to say about what has been done with The Graduate. But did you come and see it when it was on Broadway? Yep. Oh, yeah. With Kathleen Turner and Jason Biggs. Kathleen Turner in all her glory, Jason Biggs, and Alicia Silverstone as Elaine Robinson. I forgot that she was in it. Oh, yeah. 2002. yeah, it, and that was great. Yeah, so I was in the middle of college. Yeah, which I I I felt I so I'm sorry. I feel like I'm going a little bit out of order because I actually I do want to talk about the graduate, like the original, the film, a little bit more mm-hmm. before going into the various Broadway reboots. London oh, yeah. Go ahead. musicals. Um, so nineteen. So this movie's made. It, it's released in nineteen sixty-seven, mm-hmm. and it's not. It is very. So what's fascinating is it is it is set around this time. The characters are young people. One of whom goes to Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Um, at, you know, University of California in Berkeley at Berkeley, and there is really no political, no no activist vibe, none of that. And I think it's actually pretty. I think the absence of that is is meaningful because in a lot of ways, I look at the film and I think that it, it's part of like you know goes from using Simon and Garfunkel and having the film start with The Sound of Silence, which had already been a hit song. Right. And having Benjamin, you know, he's on the plane, he's coming in, you have that opening credit sequence with him on the, uh, you know, on the the belt, you know, just, and he's just, Mm -hmm. and he is passive from the moment you meet him. Like when he's sitting on the plane, he's just sitting there staring straight ahead. You see other people on the plane, they have like, you know, um little like the headsets in they have you know they're they're doing whatever and he's just sitting there staring straight ahead and then he's standing on the motorized walkway and people are walking by him and he's just standing there and everything and he's so he's glazed over he's just kind of like there then you see him in his bedroom you know with the fish tank and i thought so much of of garden state with this oh yeah well i had this in my notes too where garden state it was kind of i think it was just supposed to be like the graduate for kind of like late gen xers early millennials oh it was it it was 
supposed to be the graduate for yeah from like i felt like for i mean because also it came out which i saw that four times in the theater i saw it once i saw it many times since then but the, the character the main character that zach braff plays is is 26 i was 26 when that came out and mm-hmm. he's trying to be an actor. He's doing. Th- I was. It was like the same thing, except that he's in L. He actually goes. You know, goes to L. A. And I'm staying in New York. He goes back to Jersey, and then there's all this other stuff. And I mean, they shot it in our hometown. They shot part of mm-hmm. it in our hometown. Anyway, I I just that I feel like this the shot of Benjamin. He's just sitting in his room, and like you know, his his father comes to talk to him and try to convince him to come downstairs and he's like he's depressed yeah he's got to i look at him and i'm like i think he's i think he like might have some like some mild depression and what's great what hammers the point home is kind of is that famous line the the friend uh the family friend who pulls him outside and is like benjamin i've got one word for you plastics and like, what are plastics? They're stiff. They're, you know, artificial. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, and it's kind of, it's kind of also that comparison between East Coast, West Coast, New York, LA is that, you know, it, LA, California, you know, Southern California, very, you know, kind of artificial, or at least at this time. Yeah, sure. And it's so funny because everyone, like, they talk about all of these accomplishments. His mother, like, starts giving this speech at this this graduation party for him and she's talking about all like he's editor of the yearbook he's editor of the newspaper right. she's he reading would... i think she's reading the yearbook like oh, his yeah. list of accomplishments oh, she reads she reads like things that other people wrote about him in the yearbook and they none of these accomplishments mean anything to him he won this prestigious award and someone's asking about him and he, yeah. he, he like he really doesn't give a shit. And there's one other person at that party who doesn't give a shit. And it's Mrs. Robinson who he turns around. He sees her and she, everybody else is standing around talking. She is sitting on a chair, smoking a cigarette, looking Mm -hmm. bored is all hell. And I think she, I mean, we know she's depressed. She's a, you know, quote unquote, recovering alcoholic. Yeah. Who drinks. Does, does it say that she's recovering? Well, she says, she, she says she used to be an alcoholic. But, Mm -hmm. you know, um, so she's she's kind of like just doing the same thing as him. Like she married, like you said, she married this guy for his money. And I feel like you have this kind of like two sides of America represented you because also you're dealing with this like real like generation gap in the 60s where it, it. it's kind of like a lot of the old conservatives against a lot of like, you know, young progressives. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like Ben Benjamin's just kind of stuck in the middle. Mrs. Robinson is kind of like stuck to one side, but she's at heart. Like she was an art major. Yeah. Like Mrs. Robinson, you know, like had she just followed her dreams, you know, probably would have been really cool. Right. And I mean, her daughter is at a liberal arts college. And even though it's not specifically stated, like the fact that she goes there gives you the impression that she is, you know, progressive youth, as opposed to Benjamin, who's at a prestigious East Coast school. So you have to figure that it's either Harvard, Yale, Princeton, you know, any one of those. Yeah. And he's 
essentially just being groomed to be the next in the progression of people like his father and all of his father's friends. And what I love about the screenplay is the lines, like when he's in the pool and the, and I, I, the father, um, William Daniels, Mr. Mr. Feeney, Feeney. It says to him, like, you know, what are you doing? And he goes, Benjamin goes, I'm just drifting. It's very comfortable just drifting. Yeah. And I just like that was like I was doing some work while I while I had the movie on. And that was one of those moments where I just like looked up and I was like, I that that line never hit me so so much yeah. before. And it's like, every, but and everything it's like with Mrs. Robinson, it's comfortable because they're both kind of in their own bubbles. Yeah. And, and that scene is Right before he meets Elaine. Right. And he's kind of like in the middle of this affair with Mrs. Robinson. I I, I forget where these two points are in comparison, but there's the time that he meets her and like after after they've slept together and he go and he he like tries to have a conversation and she's really not into it because she's just like you're scratching an itch. Right. And and he is actually like he's looking for some some meaning. He's looking for something to say, like to make this worth it. And it just makes the and it makes things worse. And then it's not comfortable. Like it's it stops being comfortable once he makes an effort. And right. And that that's right before he meets Elaine, because he's because that's the scene when she tells him, like, you're not taking Elaine out. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's the right. same scene. Yeah, because then she says that he's not good enough for her. Yeah. Well, and he also does that, you know, how about that old Elaine Robinson was made in the Ford? Like, oh, yeah. I mean, so he's kind of a dick. But but he also like, but he's also like just so he's just fumbling so much through everything. And he's just like never. I mean, the whole interaction with with the um, the concierge at the hotel Mm-hmm. Buck, played by uh, the screenwriter Buck Henry, and right. is so wonderful. Like Benjamin is so awkward during that, and the whole thing where he like accidentally walks into the wedding, and he's like, right. I, "I actually don't really belong here." And yeah, so to me, it, it's almost like Ben and Mrs. Robinson are kind of like at this crossroads, and there's really no easy choice. And I feel like it's kind of like a lot of America in the '60s. Where it was either kind of like get woke and join the struggle or just kind of, you know, follow the footsteps, Mm -hmm. follow the footsteps that came before you. And like Elaine, Elaine makes that decision very firmly at the end when she runs out on her wedding. And Ben, it's kind of like he's just fumbling through trying to do something and be something he doesn't really yeah. s- come across as that awkward un- when he's just passive yeah because he's just cruising along he's not trying to actually think or act for himself he's just kind of going through the motions and then once he has this you know date with elaine and she starts to get really upset and he sees human emotion coming from somebody he's just like i need this give this to me <laughs> He's just instantly I mean, like, I need to feel things and I need to get involved with this right now. Yeah. 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 It's In a like, very intense way. He comes he to life. He just goes up there and starts kissing her. 
and she lets it happen. Well, the scene when he tells his parents he's going to marry her oh, yeah. is insane. But yet it's also oh, like yeah. funny. It's awkward. What I love about Mike Nichols' direction is he doesn't avoid the awkward. Like yeah. Elaine at the strip club when the strippers like spin in the tassels. Yeah. Is, I'm cringing so much for her. So, yeah, I definitely think this was a, you know, it was an impactful rewatching. <laughs> For sure, yeah. I, I've been looking forward to this one. This one was great. No, yeah. So, uh, we talked about the Broadway play. Did you know, John, that Charles Webb, author of the novel, wrote a sequel? You talk about homeschool? I'm definitely talking about homeschool. I only know about it because I read the Wikipedia page that oh, great. talked about it. But here, please yeah. go uh, go into some more detail. Well, in homeschool, Ben and Elaine, and this is quoting the Wikipedia page, uh, now married and living in Westchester County, are fighting to allow for their child to be homeschooled. They turned to Mrs. Robinson to help them. And all I could think when I read that was Sally Field banging the principal so that Forrest Gump could go to school. Oh. <laughs> I was like, how is Mrs. Robinson going to help? The novel set in the 70s and apparently Charles Webb himself thought to have his kids homeschooled. And then uh, this was published in 2007. I did read the original novel back oh, yeah? in, I want to say around like 2000, 2001. And here's so here's a crazy story. So little little background, little history. Um, Is this what you were teasing in the last episode? Yes. Ooh. Okay, go on. So in September two thousand one, I back then I was um, just starting out, um, you know, trying to work as an actor, and I was cast in a children's theater tour that was based out of based out of Kenner, Louisiana, suburb of New Orleans, and was out from September 2001 until April 2002. And while I was out on the tour, had a lot of time, you know, on the road, in motels, just kind of hanging around. I did a lot of reading. So I actually think I had the, the graduate with me and either that or I had read it prior to going and brought it with me in order to write an updated version as a screenplay. Okay. Now, okay. I have a box of, you know, the old like floppy disks, not the big ones that were actually floppy, but like the smaller ones that I think they still call floppy disks. Um right. and I I actually have the, one of the computers at at the school where I where I teach you know, has a drive. So I actually did some searching and I don't know if I saved, I did not find it on any of the discs unless I might've named it something totally different, but I don't think so. Okay. And I definitely don't have that computer anymore, but I wrote a, and this is like one of the only writing projects ever finished, but wrote an updated graduate and I remember thinking at the time, you know, cell phones, I was like, oh, this changes the game because now she can call him whenever and he can call her. If I remember correctly, it got a little, I, I think it might have gotten a little thrillerish. So, okay. yeah. Um, <laughs> so, um, but I think there were like a lot of like, you know, a lot of like, 
yeah, not cyber stalking. Did you call it? Did you call it graduate two thousand? Graduate two K. G two K. Yes, G two K. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but uh, interestingly, I remember another thing that that stands out to me that I wanted to share was from the the commentary on the uh, the DVD for Fight Club. And it was a commentary huh. track with Edward Norton and Brad Pitt. And they were discussing the music for Fight Club and talked about how they wanted to have, originally, initially wanted to have Radiohead write all the music. I was talking about this yesterday with my boss, actually. No kidding. Because, because Tom York does the music for Motherless Brooklyn. Another oh. Edward Norton film. Yeah, it came up yesterday about That's Fight Club. <laughs> crazy, but do you know why they wanted Radiohead? Why is that? They saw Fight Club as being similar in a lot of ways to The Graduate. They kind of hmm. saw Fight Club as kind of like, I'm, uh, you know, this guy who's kind of like just passive and who's just kind of like, you know, doing what he needs to do and he gets by and he, you know, orders all the shit from the catalog. Right. He's drifting. He's drifting. Exactly. And then all of a sudden he meets some, he, somebody brings some excitement into his life, some life into his life. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, they end up blowing up a building, but, um, you know, which is is almost what Ben and Elaine do when they, you know, when they run out yeah. of the church. No. So they were talking about how fight how they felt like Fight Club and The Graduate had some similar themes and that they felt that as Simon and Garfunkel were kind of like that character's voice. Right. Like it like and and I want to point out especially the sequence with April come she will in mm-hmm. in The Graduate which so it's like it just it's you just see Ben and it's like I really feel like this is kind of what Ben is really feeling, but not saying because he doesn't. It's like whenever he says too much, he just screws it up. And mm-hmm. this is kind of like the eloquence that's this is like the way Ben wishes he could express himself is in like the voice of Paul Simon, right? And. Huh. I think they felt that like the kind of yeah hello mixed... darkness my old friend being like the first some of the first words you hear in the movie all together yeah well that and the, you yeah. first you hear the uh, I guess the pilot on the plane right and like now starting our descent hello yeah <laughs> um, yeah but totally I guess John this is what for me brings it to the question of does the story need to be retold for today's audience well Dan let me tell you. In the Robert Altman film, The Player, featuring Nick <laughs> Nolte and Susan Sarandon of Lorenzo's Oil, uh, there's well, I, a scene where Buck Henry pitches a sequel to some of the first uh, words to Tim Robbins' character. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, it's the opening sequence, yeah. And um, so, But anyway. No, we said you couldn't do that. No, and, and if I didn't already say that Dustin Hoffman was in, Revol- not Revolutionary Road, Moonlight Mile with Moonlight Susan Mile, Sarandon. The Jake Gyllenhaal yeah, film. I saw that in the theater. Um, did you really? Well, the did you see the Claridge. movie? Did you see the movie? Rumor has it, by any chance? I did. Dan, I watched it last night. Oh, John, I'm sorry. Oh, it was brutal. So I love for, Rob Reiner, and I am yeah. like, who is it? Mark Ruffalo. Mark, Mark Ruffalo. Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo. Mm-hmm. Kevin Costner. Shirley MacLaine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Uh, Jennifer Aniston. Jennifer Aniston. Um, Richard Jenkins, who's delightful. Rumor has it is uh let me let me just rush through the synopsis of rumor has it i will not Uh, be interrupting you jennifer aniston plays sarah who is unhappy in her relationship with mark ruffalo uh not the actor his character and she's also unhappy in her career and she discovers that her mother and grandmother along with a guy named Bo burrows were the inspiration for the graduate so Bo was roommates with charles webb the novelist who wrote The Graduate, and there was always a rumor buzzing around Pasadena that it was based on a family in Pasadena. And thinking that Bo might be her father, Sarah tracks him down, and after discovering that he can't be her father because he's sterile due to a soccer injury, they totally bone. And... uh after a series of incidents that lead you to believe that he actually is the father, which is oh. super gross and uncomfortable, oh. it's made very clear that he's just an old horn dog in a really gross movie that's allegedly based on a true rumor. So oh. it's it's really bizarre, and it's not a good movie, and I... Oh, it's I, terrible. I, I wasted an evening. Um, it, a it precious really, evening. I was... I think I, I remember watching that once just kind of thinking like how bad could it be and the answer is that bad. it's bad it's like they had this idea to be like "Ooh, we should do a movie about a real version of the graduate and then it's like they never really thought it through and it almost feels like they were making it up as they were going along and it's like there's decent people involved with this movie i know how did Rob this continue to happen reiner well, as we've discussed before, Rob Reiner, you know, he's had his, like, great, great, great films. And then he's had, like, a few weird little dips. And this is definitely one of those dips. I miss good Rob Reiner movies. Can I just... I just want to put that out there. I miss good Rob Reiner movies. Yeah. Uh, give me a Misery. Give me an, an A Few Good Men. A Spinal Tap. Give me a... Give me a... Freaking spinal tap. Okay. Um, don't actually literally give me a spinal tap. Yeah. So that's right. Not necessary. So um I want so let me ask you before I go okay. forth and do my thing. Where where do you see this? Does this story have a does it need to be retold? Is there a call for it? Okay. Need mm, probably not, but uh I will say I thought about a sequel situation, especially knowing that there was a book written as a sequel. And I feel like having any idea of what happened after they got off that bus, it kind of ruins the, the feeling of the first movie. It doesn't ruin a childhood, but it definitely changes the way that you would watch the end of the graduate. It defines something that should remain undefined. Yeah, because it defines something that you should define for yourself based on your perspective watching it. Yes, exactly. Yes. Um, But I wouldn't mind a remake. And contrary to what you were were talking about doing, uh, I would actually do one that takes place in a completely different era, something like the 20s or something. Because it's, you know, it's a story that can take place in almost any era, except maybe when this type of thing was actual common practice, because 
I don't know. Norms were different. The further you go back, <laughs> things when get was a little loosey goosey. Practice to sleep with your parents' friends. Biblical times, ancient Greece. I don't know. I don't, well, I guess when there weren't yeah. that many other people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, I didn't. I didn't have any thoughts about like really changing the the plot or, ad, or really adapting the plot to the different times. I just feel like setting it in a different era, like you were saying, for setting it in the age of cell phones, which, by the way, rumor has it does include cell phones, and uh, it doesn't really make too much of a difference. Things still get very awkward. Rumor has it um, does nothing well. <laughs> um, Mark Ruffalo gives his all in it and he's he's quite good mark but it's ruffalo, just not a good mark ruffalo is just likable like yeah all you have you tell me mark ruffalo and i'm like like all right i'll watch it like the, like whatever there's that movie with like reese witherspoon and napoleon dynamite and i'm like no 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 uh, mark ruffalo's in it eh, all right <laughs> <laughs> so um one thought that i did have that would change it a bit from the original would be not not a gender flip because I think that a lot changes oh, when yeah. it's an older man preying on a younger woman. Well, then it's um, a Woody Allen movie. Uh, Shout out, Dad. <laughs> if he's ever going to listen will, to an episode of this, this is going to be it. Credit where credit is due to our father, who has been calling Woody Allen out on being a despicable human for a very long time. I mean, long before there was so much evidence. So much more. So much more. So much more. Like, when the worst thing you could say about him was that he married his adopted stepdaughter, who yeah. was of age. That was the worst thing. Those were the good old days. <laughs> I know. And it's bad. But oh, my God. Our father, seriously. Oh, who, he called it. Who I feel otherwise would be totally on board for somebody like Woody Allen and his and his movies, but totally stuck to his guns and uh, is proven right. Yeah. Very much so. Anyway, but what I what I might be interested in is maybe a same sex dynamic. Oh, yeah. Older men, older, it, would, it wasn't that, I didn't see Call Me By Your Name, but, I mean, I know that's not, like, well, quite that much of an age difference. No, I think that that age difference was more like high school and college. Yeah, it was like Timothy Chalamet yeah. and, um... Army Hammer. Army Hammer, right. Which... How do you forget I that? I love name? that movie. It's fantastic. Yeah, you can't forget Army Hammer. And similarly, one of the people I was, I was thinking would be really good for the... Benjamin Braddock role, if there was to be a same-sex uh, graduate remake, was uh, Aquafina, another name you can't forget that is a name of a brand of something. She's fantastic. I don't know if you've seen much of her work, but um, she uh, actually Ocean's can 8. do... She's great in Ocean's 8, but she she actually can do drama. She's well, very yeah, good. I know Aside she did the, being... the Farewell. Uh, I, I haven't right, seen it, which but... I have a copy of it, and I've been meaning to watch it because the trailer looks fantastic. Anyway, she's one of the people that I thought would be good for it, as well as uh, Kiersey Clemens, who's in Heartbeats Loud with Nick Offerman, mm. um, one of my favorites from last year. 
But if it was sticking with the same, you know, male graduate, then uh, I was thinking somebody like uh, Alden Ehrenreich or Ansel Elgort. Two names that are very hard to say consecutively. (laughs) I've never tried. And I will not. Do I feel that like now. Ansel Elgort is is I think in my mind similar to how Dustin Hoffman comes across in in The Graduate, where it's like, sure he's he's a good enough looking guy, but he's not somebody who's you know a Robert Redford type. I think he could pull off like he like you know Baby Driver. He looks like you know really cool, confident. But I do think I agree that he could pull off that more give off the more underdog vibe. Right. Um, Yeah. Which is kind of like this is so that's where the challenge is for me. I mean, so here's a couple of challenges in remaking it, which I think like it could be done well. And now that you mention other like time periods, I would love to see it done like as a Downton Abbey type thing yeah. mm-hmm. um but i i actually kind of want to like i really wish we were having this discussion in 2001 when i would have been like radiohead like you gotta yeah. use you know like take out the the songs that were used in vanilla sky and uh romeo and juliet because they're mm-hmm. too they're too connected to those they're too ingrained in those films but like do some Radiohead. So I, I was trying to really think about like, who would it be now? And I wasn't necessarily thinking of a gender swap, but I was, I was definitely thinking like, eh, it, it doesn't have to be so white. Um, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I'm just like, and I'm just trying to think of like, okay, who might be a, a great. And when I wrote, when I wrote my script in 2001, I was like Jessica Lang all the way for Mrs. Robinson. But uh-huh. I kind of think maybe that ship has sailed. Um, yeah. But I, I so in that vein, Michelle Pfeiffer, who was... Or a Halle Berry. That is who I have on my list as well. I have... So, mm-hmm. Michelle, I mean, yeah, I know, I know. Well, Michelle Pfeiffer's the only... Yeah, so I've got Taraji P. Henson. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, like, she's great. Halle Berry, J-Lo. Well, yeah, I actually just watched Hustlers. Which That's I've another heard. one I watched. I I didn't love it. I mean, she was very good in it. She mm-hmm. accomplishes what that role sets out to do. I don't know. I just wasn't crazy about the movie. I feel like it's been kind of done before, just like in slightly different ways. I mean, most movies are, but this one no. felt especially like that. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, you know, those are just, just a few... Um, a few names, but I, I really, I actually really do like the idea of a Holly Berry as, mm-hmm. um, as Mrs. Robinson. I think it yeah. would really be, I think it would be a great role for her. And I couldn't really tell you like every young actor that I could think of, that would be the right age to play this role, I guess, other than Ansel Elgort's and Alden Ehrenreich's. <laughs> um, although Alden Ehrenreich, I feel might is a little old. Too confident. Well, because Benjamin oh, is, he, is 21. He... I, yeah, I but I mean, Dustin Hoffman was, I think, like 30 or something when he... He was, yes, yeah. yeah. Well, and I also, I wonder, like, in a remake, would I have him just out of grad school? Because then, like, is he a, you know... The post-grad. If it's a millennial graduate... The master. You know, 
is he yeah, the Philip Seymour? <laughs> oh man, pour one out for P- Philip Seymour Hoffman. So anyway, um, I didn't. So I didn't really. I couldn't really think of like a good Benjamin or Elaine. I actually was trying to think more of like who would do the music, and which it would depend on the actor. Like Simon and Garf, Paul Simon would not have been the right voice for Robert Redford. No, I, I don't know. You know, Perry Como. Um, like, um, so I was like, well, what do you have? You know, like maybe like J. Cole. I was trying to think of like, you know, some rap and hip hop artists who I know, like, you know, are poetic and really, mm-hmm. you know, just really kind of tap into that. Um, depending mm-hmm. on when you, on when you said it, like if you said it modern day, like 20. Or what if it's, yeah, or what if it's someone like Chance the Rapper or even like Childish Gambino and maybe Donald Glover is playing that role? He's too cool. <laughs> yeah, he, but. He's not community's he's, Donald he, Glover anymore. <laughs> oh, he can dork up. Yeah, he but definitely he's can. not. But I yeah i don't think i don't know at this point i don't think i could buy donald glover in as in in that type of like that's the thing i think is really important is i think you need ben to be kind of like like a zach braff in garden state Mm -hmm. um so i don't know who that is now but i was also thinking like what if uh i was like orville peck is an artist that i feel like is really can tap into a mood and set a tone. I mean, I don't know why we're not talking about Beck right now. Oh, Beck would be really, especially like Beck I'm thinking about all. sea change. Um, yeah, I'm thinking. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking. I mean, there's a few Beck albums that I, I mean, and that's also the thing. You have like a lot of back catalog that you could potentially mm-hmm. use. But I really, I actually would love to hear Beck conduct. Have you heard Beck's new album, by the way? Yeah. What do you think? I enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, I have to, I have to give it another shot. Like Beck's Modern modern Guilt. Like, let's yeah. bring out that album. But yeah, Beck would be a great choice. It, it, but it's a, like Beck would be a great choice for an Ansel Elgort Benjamin. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, like... Like a Daniel Kayula uh, K- K- from Get Out, oh, mm-hmm. yeah. um, which he's probably a little too old too. I feel like that you know an actor like him could bring you know a different tone to it. I don't know. So many of these like the young. I was like I was like man a Jonah like a circa 2010 2011 Jonah Hill. Right. So like Moneyball Jonah Hill. Kind of Moneyball Twenty One Jump Street. Mm-hmm. Jonah Hill. Like, I feel like he could have done that well. I think about his performance in Cyrus. Yeah. Ooh, Cyrus. So crazy. So, uh, you know, that movie just goes well, for it. Hey, let's talk about Marissa Tomei. Oh, Marissa as a, Tomei. As yes. a Mrs. Robinson. Yes. I, well, I mean, she's Aunt May. <laughs> I'd be on board for I'm a, that. I'm, so, I'm a big fan of Marissa yeah. Tomei. Well, if hey, if anybody listening has any thoughts about what they would do with uh, with the graduate, uh, email us ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail dot com. But I guess my so my final word my final word on oh. it is because there's one more thing that I think is really difficult because Mike Nichols um, he threads the needle. It's the graduate is a funny movie. Mm-hmm. It is. I hesitate to call it romantic. 
I don't know that there's uh-huh. any genuine no. romance in it. No, but it, it's no, a, it's creepy. It's a, it's funny. It's creepy. It's dramatic. It's, it's moody. Like when Benjamin is just in his like, I'm gonna sit by the pool, drink beer, and smoke cigarettes. I'm drifting. Like it's, it's depressing, and. Yeah. But yet it's still like there's still those really funny moments. And even in the most in the weirdest moments, like you find yourself laughing. And right. So I I think and I think Mike Nichols just in general was really gifted at doing that. And I, I don't I'm trying to think of who I mean, you know, but like Ryan Johnson <laughs> would. Oh, yeah. Would Ryan Johnson be like a good like I'm just you really need someone who knows uh, who can who can switch up the tone but really stay on message. Mm-hmm. Anyone come to mind for you? Uh, I mean, it's tricky because I feel like Wes over Anderson the course of the over the course. Yeah, right. Over the course of the 40 some odd episodes we've done of this, we've talked about so many different directors and uh, I feel like as great as a lot of them have been, I don't know if any of them would be right for this because you would be constantly trying to, it's hard to not think about the original graduate when but what about making like, some sort of newer version of it. What about like a Jordan Peele? I like, like Jordan Peele's take on the graduate. It's so hard to say because Jordan Peele is definitely full of surprises. And I mean, eventually he's going to stop doing Horror movie, you know he's gonna horror movies. Yeah, I feel like he's gonna. I don't, know. I don't see him. I, I like. I kind of see him. You know, over the next couple of years, as a filmmaker, branch out. I did see the trailer for his for Antebellum, which looks pretty intense. Yeah, I don't. I haven't watched that one yet. You know who I think actually might be really good at it? Ryan Coogler. Oh, thinking about like. Fruitvale Station, you know, some of the stuff before the, like, Black panther Creed stuff. What else? Um, I'm trying to remember what else I've seen by him. You know, he hasn't done a ton. You know, he did a few shorts and then did Fruitvale Station. And then right after that, did Creed, Black, Creed and Black Panther. Mm-hmm. And he's doing Black Panther 2. Oh. So. Yeah, I mean, that, then that's it's, it's all. Interesting I never saw Fruitvale Station. Fruitvale Station's fantastic. Yeah, feel like it would get me really angry yes but that's kind of like in a in a good way like i'm watching a really good movie and it's making me feel something way but i'm i already get i like i feel like i get that a lot already like i Uh I kind of you know i spend a lot of my day talking about societal issues and we just started reading a book that's a satire on discrimination and Mm -hmm. um so like i get that at the office (laughs) fair enough but it's like you know for somebody who's going to be doing something with the graduate you would want them to be somebody who could you know really charge you up true and yeah and you know make you you know have your eyes just like glued to the screen yeah you would just have to i think you would just have to i i would hate for the graduate to just become like a like a thriller like just right. like a run-of-the-mill like it gets released in late january thriller yeah and i mean it's the thing is like it would always be judged 
it, yeah. even though there are a lot of movies that are remade or rebooted or, or properties that are rebooted, there have been a lot that definitely get people in the seats where I feel like the graduate would re- like, it'd have to be like really special for it to really get people out to go see it. Gus Van Sant shot by shot remake. <laughs> Zero people want that. Did you ever see that when he did Psycho? No, I didn't. I saw it. No, I didn't. Did I, you? And? I mean, I didn't go see it in the theater or anything. I, yeah, I watched it. It's kind of like watching a strange prog rock cover band do one song for two hours. Okay. And not well. Yeah, I know. And Vince was, Vaughn is there. And Vin, there's Vince Vaughn and he's creepy. And then there's Anne Heche. And she's Anne Heche. Who else was in that? Yeah. Cause she, I don't even know. You're the one that saw it. Anne Heche get, is the one who gets stabbed in, in the shower. And then there's her, her character's sister. I'm not a big fan of that movie to begin with. There's, I, I think there's other Hitchcock movies that I really like more. Oh yeah, um, yeah, Vera Miles. So, a, a, any, any, any final words uh, to share on the graduate? Uh, no, no, we've said Leave a it. lot of words about the graduate. I don't think there's really any more to cover no. here. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, ultimately, I would say don't do it. But I agree with you. Like anything that attempts to depict Ben and Elaine's lives after this movie is, uh, you know, bad news. Avoid it. Yeah, I mean, I think it could be interesting in a way. Not that I think it should be done, but if there was some sort of Mrs. Robinson prequel, you know, just I, like... You know, I, th- I was wondering about that. I was trying to think. I was, I was like, is, like, was Mrs. Robinson, like, did she come... Like, what kind of family did she come from? Right. I don't get the impression they were wealthy. Mm-hmm. Like, she she kind of, you know, quote unquote, married up. But yeah, right. yeah, you know, it's funny. I was I was thinking about that too. I was like, if if anyone like yeah. that's the like, I don't want to see Ben at college just like being like you know Joe, no. Joe Cool, running track, winning awards, editing, things. winning awards. So before we announce our our next episode, I wanted to uh, add an announcement about because we talked about how some reboots, some remakes put people in the seats, some don't. Well, we're looking back at 10 years of remakes, reboots, sequels, and prequels. Right. So um, we've got a survey posted. Uh, There's a link in our Instagram bio at Rune Childhood's Pod. Uh, Please, when you have a few minutes, jump on. It it lists um, pretty much, I, I would say, most of the reboots, remakes, and I'll say long awaited prequels sequels like it's been 10 mm-hmm. 15 years since the last one and uh, an opportunity to share you know which ones y- you've seen uh what you what you liked and what you didn't like and um we'll be i what whichever whenever our last episode of the year is uh we'll be mm-hmm. we'll be kind of sharing some of the responses so please Visit the link, complete the survey, and uh, hey, be be a part of the uh, of our celebration of the 2010s decade. Yeah, and uh, so I, I want to uh, repeat a a line that you said earlier uh, in reference to our next episode, 
because you said get woke and join the struggle. And I feel like that's a, uh, a a perfect way to talk about what our next movie is going to be. And that is Warriors. Warriors. I knew you were going to do it. I knew you were going to do it. Uh, you have to. You yeah. have to. So you get your uh, get your beer bottles on your fingers and clank them together and be a big old creep. And join us in the next episode. And uh, yeah, good journey, Dan. Good journey. <laughs> <laughs>